Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. has been a more talked about person in the history of human civilization than Jesus Christ. And I mean that quite literally. And a lot of folks have various, I don't know, opinions about Jesus as a religious religious figure. You ask someone who's a, a devout Jew How they feel about Jesus, chances are they will have a different answer than a devout Christian. You ask someone that's a Muslim or an atheist, they may have a different view as well. But what do we know about his history? There's a show, a new show called The Chosen, uh, where Jesus is a character on the show. A lot of people watching the show, a lot of people talking about this show. It's very popular. Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat. You have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I, I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. 
<laughs> that Jesus had a sense of humor, didn't he? That does come across in uh, in, in several of the Gospels. Someone that uh, is a real expert in this is Dr. James McGrath. In addition to being an author of several books examining the life and death of, of Jesus, he is also the Clarence L. Goodwin Chair in New Testament Language and Literature, at Butler University in Indianapolis, Indiana. He has a diploma in religious studies from the University of Cambridge and a a PhD from Durham University, a bunch of other degrees as well, but we only have a four-hour show. The guy knows his stuff. Uh, Let me welcome Dr. James McGrath. Dr. McGrath, uh, good morning. It's a treat to talk to you on the radio. Good morning, Frank. It's a treat to talk to you as well. Thanks. Uh, so, Dr. McGrath, what? Um, let, let me begin with the broadest possible question. Do we know for sure that Jesus existed as a historical figure? Let me ask the question, what do you mean by do we know for sure? Because we say that every day, and, you know, is that 100%? Is that 99%? You know, can we even quantify it? You know, ancient history, very little is so certain that, you know, there's no room for doubt, no room for any other discovery. But we're, we're as certain about this as you can be about pretty much anything in the ancient world, especially when we're talking about certainty about a figure like Jesus was. So he's not an emperor. He's not somebody who's minting coins and putting mm. his name on inscriptions. But historians are confident, as confident as you can be when we're talking about ancient history. And I know a lot of people want a much higher degree of certainty than history can offer, but that's that's the way it works in history. There was a, a special on the History Channel a uh, a few years ago that purported to show what Jesus probably looked like. I don't remember what the sourcing was, if it was the Shroud of Turin or or something else. But um, do you can you give us any information on what Jesus? is likely to have looked like, because in the artistic portrayals of him over the years, it has changed a great deal over the last couple of thousand years. Yeah, certainly has. And we don't have we don't have early artistic portraits. We don't even have a description of any sort. Uh, We do have an interesting one coming from around like the second century uh, or so of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and it says that he had a unibrow and some other interesting things, but we don't get that for Jesus in uh, really early sources. Uh, Joan Taylor has a whole book on you know what Jesus looked like, and so I'll, I'll recommend that. But we have artistic depictions, and we don't know that anyone, once they started making these, actually had any information passed on to them about you know hair color, eye color, how tall, you know, skinny, fat face, anything like that. Okay, so um, what, as best we know, and obviously when we're talking the ancient world, especially for non-emperors and uh, people like that, it's tough to know much about anything. As best you can tell us, what secular collaboration or and or evidence is there for um, uh, – the Jesus that's depicted in the Gospels. What's out there that seem to confirm the accounts of of Jesus living and doing the thing that he the things that he's written about in the Bible to have done? Yeah, and that's a great question. We do have some confirmation, right? Coming coming along uh, not too long after the time of Jesus, 
Uh, there's a first century Jewish historian named Flavius Josephus, and Christians in the ancient world really messing up for historians because they tampered with it and added some things to make mm. it sound like Josephus is, uh, you know, is a Christian and is saying, Jesus, you know, can we even call him a man and stuff like that? But fortunately, we also have traces of this. We have uh, an Arabic uh, Christian author who quotes Josephus or paraphrases him, but doesn't have those additions in it. So between that and scholars sort of working over the text, it seems pretty clear that there was a mention, and it's just that it's been enhanced, as it were, by uh, the Christians who thought this was worth copying and preserved it. Uh, We also have a Roman historian named Tacitus uh, who lived, you know, he was born uh, a couple of decades after uh, Jesus' death. And so he's writing at a time when, you know, he overlaps, his life overlaps with people who lived through the events of that period. And so he's in a position to know, right? And so there may be misinformation circulating, but when it comes to something like, you know, did this person exist? There were people who were in a position to know and who knew. I think I'd also want to add that, you know, when we talk about sort of sacred versus secular sources, I mean, when it comes to any ancient philosopher, any ancient figure, it's usually the people who like them and think they're important who write about them first, you know, and that still happens today most of the time, or people who really dislike someone, right? You also get those. And, you know, things like Paul's letters, you know, Paul mentions that he met Jesus' brother, uh, talks about things like that, so doesn't have eyewitness firsthand testimony, but is close to sources that were of that sort. And when he wrote these letters, he w- it wasn't scripture, right? It wasn't that mm-hmm. you know, he wrote to the Corinthians and then they immediately said, oh, quick, let's stick that on the end of <laughs> right. our Bible and right. then we'll read it, you know? And so uh, we have to treat them as, you know, what we might call secular sources, not in the sense that Paul is not somebody who's interested in theology and religion, but in the sense that this is not something that is a secret text yet. And the the consensus overwhelmingly among historians who've looked at this is that there's very little disagreement that he that he actually lived, right? I mean, whether whatever people's religious beliefs are, the the most of the historians that have looked at this as you have, they've come to the conclusion that he almost certainly did live. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and again, there were critics, as you mentioned, that uh, that said uh, that said similar things, but there was nobody saying that uh, he didn't disagree. One thing that he didn't uh, that he didn't agree that he didn't live. One thing that um, I have been very very eager to ask you about, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Dr. James McGrath. He is a uh, professor of uh, New Testament language at Butler University in Indianapolis. You've written several books, uh, including. John's apologetic Christology. Now, if you read John, it's clear that it's very different in tone and even some of the some of the uh, narrative structure and maybe even a couple of the events from the other gospels. Why is John, the book of John, different from the other gospels? Yeah, and that's a great question. I mean, part of it is just having a different author. Part of it is different source material, I think, right? There's this sort of literary interdependence between Mark, Matthew, and Luke, uh, with one of them uh, or two of them using the other and things like that. But then there's there's also the fact that John seems to have been writing both a bit later than at least two, if not all of the others. 
And there are some issues that have arisen. Right? People are just continuing to debate who is Jesus, why should we listen to him? Some people think he's wonderful, some people are not persuaded. And whenever you have debates like that, you know, people who take a side in those debates feel the need to answer objections from the other side, address things that people are saying. And in the process of doing that, when people defend their beliefs, defend their uh, their love for this or that band, that this or that politician, this or that religious figure, whatever it is, it, it changes the belief structure as well. It adds to it, it enhances it, it develops it in all these interesting ways. And so what that book tried to do was to trace that. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Interesting. And um, outside of the Bible, the earliest recorded mention that we're aware of in writing of Jesus, and again, it's pre-printing press and writing was actually fairly rare. Was that that Josephus text that you referred to earlier? Yeah, that would be, I think that's the first one. And he actually does have a brief mention of James, the brother of Jesus as well. So he has a sort of throwaway mention where Jesus gets a, a second mention there that sometimes gets neglected in this. But then there's that longer passage that has all the details in the Christian tampering. I, I know that um, every once in a while you hear about other Gospels that uh, that didn't make the Bible. I guess the most infamous is the, uh, the Gospel of Judas, but I believe uh, that there are others as well. Putting aside what religious value they may or may not have, is there any historical value in these other Gospels? And if there is, what do those tell us about the life of Jesus? Yeah, I, they're, they're definitely things that historians need to pay attention to. The, the reason why the four that end up in the New Testament end up in the New Testament has much more to do with how early they were written and how widely they circulated. But then there's also preference and things like that. You know, there's some that at least come close. And a historian doesn't stop when the end of the New Testament stops, doesn't assume that everything that's in the New Testament is historical, has to ask, you know, well, what's really the evidence? Why should we believe the source is giving us accurate information about what happened or about this or that person? And the same way, just because something is outside of the New Testament or outside of the Bible doesn't mean that it doesn't have reliable information. In fact, you know, I mean, church historians and people like that are drawing on things outside the Bible all the time for later centuries. But when it comes to Jesus, sometimes people then, uh, that principle just gets forgotten somehow, right? But a historian can't just limit themselves right. to these things. And so there, there are some that I think are particularly interesting. Uh, the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament, in our earliest manuscripts, ends really abruptly, right? And it ends with this story that you know, some women find an empty tomb, or rather, they find that Jesus' body isn't in the tomb where they expect it to be. Um, it seems like this may have been a tomb where you know, multiple people would have been buried who were crucified on that site. And it says they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. How the heck then can we be hearing this story? Right? And it ends abruptly, <laughs> and we think there right. must have been some right. continuation that 
either got lost or didn't get included. You know, Mark uh, got hit by a, a, a flaming meteorite and just as he was about to finish the story or something, you know, who knows? But there's this gospel called the Gospel of Peter, which is the only one that really takes that ending and continues a bit after it. And we get something like what we get in the Gospel of John in chapter 21 with this encounter by the by the lake in Galilee. And so probably the story continued that, you know, the disciples fled, they went to Galilee, and then they they had some kind of experience there that they understood to be seeing Jesus. And historians can talk even about those things, right? They can't say miracles happened and things like that because history deals in probability and miracles are never going to be probable, right? They're sort of inherently unusual, their very, very definition. But clearly, people had experiences, people came to believe certain things, and historians can investigate those processes. And uh, so uh, beyond that continuation of the abrupt ending of um, the, uh, you know, the book of uh, of Mark, is there anything else in any of these other Gospels, whether it's uh, Thomas or, uh, you know, uh, Mary, Mary Magdalene or, um, you know, uh, Peter or any of the other ones that are considered non, non-canon that we can that we can learn about Jesus's life or his death? I mean, I think if, if somebody is interested in Jesus as a historical figure, then on the one hand, you have to take into account that, you know, the further we get away from uh, our very earliest sources, people are you know, sort of taking for granted those earlier stories and inventing new ones sometimes. You know, we get some infancy gospels that are filling in details about the life of Jesus, what was he like as a kid, right? This is what he was like as an adult. Right, right. What, what was his bar like mitzvah like? Right, sure. And, uh, yeah, and there's one known as the Infancy Gospel of Thomas where, I mean, he's a terror, right? I mean, he, you know, he, yeah, he, he gets up to all kinds of mischief, right? And his, you know, uh, friends die, but fortunately he can bring them back to life. So it's not a big deal and things like that, you know. Uh, there's, some, there's some wild storytelling in the history of the church. Uh, those get further and further away from uh, sort of the source. And so ones like the Gospel of Thomas that are fairly early probably do contain some information that's useful to historians. Uh, we have it in a, a version in Coptic, right? That's a, the language of the ancient Egyptians, and it was written in another language. And so we're not sure that mm-hmm. it gives us the earliest form in which, you know, if we had like the, the Greek version from which that translation was made, I think that would be even more useful for a historian. But ultimately, I mean, historians are saying that even some things that are in the New Testament are unlikely to be historical. And so the further and further away you get from sort of the impact of Jesus, the initial impact, is people are, uh, you know, have a real vested interest in saying something about him sure. or depicting him a certain yeah, there's way. there's an agenda there. Then it starts to, you know, it starts to get transformed in the process of even even of trying to defend the figure that is you know a, a person who actually lived right you get distortion as a result sure no that may that makes sense and that sort of anticipates my, you alluded to the next thing that I was going to ask you about which is uh, do we know such as it's possible to know if any of the events depicted in the new testament were in fact n- not as they were written about in the gospels is there anything that's been sort of disproven uh, in looking at either archaeological evidence or other secular writings of the time, is there anything in the four Gospels that we know is wrong? Yeah, well, that's that's a, that's a great question, and it's it's very hard to prove a negative 
right? You know, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And so uh, it's more often the case. I mean, generally, it's, it's more the case that, you know, this thing has not been proved to have happened. Or we have two accounts that, if you look at them closely, contradict one another. And so uh, either they're both somewhat wrong or one is wrong and one is right. You know, and so uh, you know, people like me have a, you know, have a terrible reputation of you know, ruining people's Christmases and things like that. Because you know, one of the things that ancient sources regularly do is to you know, tell stories about, you know, as I mentioned, some of the later non-canonical gospels did. If this person was like this as an adult, what must their childhood have been like? Mm. And there are always, you know, signs in the heavens, and there's always, you know, there are things like angelic announcements and things like that. And a historian will tell you that it's really hard, if not impossible, to fit some of the geographical movements together that we get in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. Each tells a different story about Jesus' infancy, and one starts out with the family. They're from Nazareth, and they go to Bethlehem for a census. They soon after that are in Jerusalem because their sacrifice is required after childbirth. And as soon as they've done with that, they're back in Nazareth. Whereas in Matthew, it starts in Bethlehem and they only relocate to Nazareth because they're afraid because we have this attempt to wipe Jesus out by slaughtering children in Bethlehem. And we have no record of that in our ancient sources other than this one story in the Gospel of Matthew. And so that's the sort of thing where a historian will say, yeah, it's not necessarily out of character for Herod the Great. I mean, he was rather paranoid. He did execute other people when he thought there was a threat. But on the other hand, we have no record of this. And so a historian will say it's at most possible. And I think that's probably what really is sort of disconcerting, like for particularly for religious people who are used to simply assuming everything in the Bible is true if they're part of a tradition that takes that view. It's not so much, oh, we can definitively disprove this. It's, yeah, this might not have happened. This we're not really sure. Here we have two different accounts, and they can't both be right. That sort of thing is is what historians say much more often. Got it. Um, uh, Dr. James McGrath, I, uh, I hope you'll come back and we could uh, talk a little bit about the execution and what we might know about the resurrection. But uh, if um, if people are interested in learning more about this, what book or and or documentary would you would you steer them to, whether it's one of your books or, or colleagues? Where, what's a good place for people to start if they're interested in this subject? Uh, I mean, certainly on the historical Jesus, you know, get something, get something short. It will uh, raise more questions than, you know, uh, provide answers. If it's a good one, uh, there's, there's these, uh, you know, Guide for the Perplexed series and other things like that. I know Helen Bond has a good one. Uh, she's a professor at uh, the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, uh, and it's a fairly short book. Uh, I mean, I think the main thing is look for something that's written by somebody who's a New Testament scholar, mm-hmm. and, you know, ideally maybe some, see if it's something that's used as a textbook by a lot of professors, Got because it. that's probably going to give you, you know, here's what most of us agree on Got you know, for most of those things. Right? Uh, uh, let me run, Dr. McGrath. I appreciate the time, and uh, let's do this again soon. Sounds wonderful. I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. forward to the next one. Same here. I learned a lot. Uh, 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.